Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Our guest today is Shelby Lorman, a writer, comedian, and artist best known for creating the Instagram account Awards for Good Boys, as well as the book of the same name. So welcome to the show, Shelby. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of your journey and how uh, you came to create uh, Awards for Good Boys? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I started just drawing the concept of Awards for Good Boys probably 2016, 2017. Um, And it came to me very much as a complete idea where I was just like, I want to satirize and make literal um, the pedestals that we put people on in our society. I specifically want to do that around gender, even though in my own mind, it's much more about power. But I was thinking about how do I start this conversation and how do I make it funny? Um, So I started drawing these little kind of awards and I would carry them around with me everywhere. And the first kind of iteration were really obvious. So it would be like um, stood up for a female colleague um, and then like smaller underneath alone in the bathroom to the mirror. So it was this very, um, very clear kind of equation that I was making. And for a while, I think it was like very obviously that where it was like, I am making fun of, society, not people, and trying to use humor to explore the ways that um, men mostly are put on pedestals for, you know, pretty average things. But then also crucially, and it's always been a huge part of the project to me, is looking at why we as the audience, as, you know, as the people looking at those elevated on platforms, on pedestals, why do we keep clapping for them? Um, Why do we keep literally and figuratively awarding people. And as it kind of grew, I realized that I was just like very bewitched with the idea of awarding in general and how it functions in our society. So whether that's like, you know, participation awards um, for gifted kids and there's that sort of section, but then there's also the idea of like the Nobel Peace Prize being given to war criminals every year. And so there's just so many areas in which I think what I conceived as this very small idea actually extends to so many places. So it it became really generating and self-generating in a way that I definitely had not thought of. I was like, this is going to be a very small niche uh, <laughs> look at dating and love and double standards. And it definitely is that. But I think that the project as a whole um, resonates more when you realize that what I'm looking at is a very small part of a huge system of uh, elevating certain people and why. And um, the last few years I've been really interested in, I mean, obviously from the beginning too, is like goodness is so central to this and like awards for good boys. It's like, what do we think of as goodness and who decides that? And how are these things that are collectively seen as good actually really arbitrary and you know, who makes those decisions? And as the project has sort of grown out and out and out, it, you know, started as this thing of like, okay, there's like this very cliche idea of like this male feminist who is like um, saying something sort of obvious, like treat women with respect. And everyone is like, oh my gosh, what a hero. And it's like, okay, he's not wrong, but also like, why are we, why are we ready to hear that from this person? Why is this thing that is like an inherent truth of being a 
a good human in society made to seem like such an aberration and then celebrated. Um, and so I've also been interested in that in larger forms in like, how does philanthropy sort of mirror that? Um, how do, how does investment in arts mirror that? Like I've been really interested in like, um, how really, really rich people can use arts and donating wings to places as this sort of shield from behavior otherwise. And so, uh, again, it started as this very, very small, let's look at how this works in interpersonal relationships. And as I've thought about it more and more, it has been this kind of giant pressing question about um, how we decide what has merit in society and who gets acknowledged for that and uh, how that functions in sort of our day to day. So that's really uh, the, the long slash short version of how it how it started. But yeah, it really um, it began and still is in a lot of ways this look at patterns and not people. So all my work looks exactly the same, and that's partly because I uh, <laughs> I have a limited artistic repertoire. But it's also very much because. I was using my own experiences as a springboard, but I always knew that it like really deeply wasn't about me. Um, even though I have like a particular penchant for encountering really funny situations. So I use my own experiences, but I've always said from the beginning, this is about patterns and not people. If you recognize someone in this work, that's just speaking to how, you know, it's a Rorschach test for whoever you see, whatever you make of it. But I'm very rarely going to be naming people. It is about these behaviors, these sort of, these patterns that we all can relate to. Um, so yeah, it was always about interpersonal relationships, but it also more broadly was about how those interpersonal relationships are shaped by so many forces outside of that, um, which is a complicated conversation to try to have through uh, one panel drawings on Instagram, as I learned. <laughs> one panel, two color drawings on Instagram. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, it seems like one of the central tenets is that the entire definition of goodness that we have in society changes depending on who you're talking about, what their status is, what their, you know, what their general profile is, be it, you know, their identity racially or gender wise or whatever, that like this concept of goodness, it, it, it's almost like what you think is good declines the more and more a person benefits from society thinking them good, right? Absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. I've been really interested kind of the whole time I've been doing the project in the ways that celebrity functions and how right. much that is this fascinating mirror for for goodness. And I think it's especially been interesting to think about um, during the last year in the pandemic, as I think a lot of people have seen very starkly this sort of jarring dissonance between celebrities' lives and people um, in a way that I think previously you could just look at a celebrity traveling and doing whatever. And there was like a little bit of aspiration to that or just the sort of acceptance that celebrities are going to do their thing and they're part of culture. And I think the last year has been this real turning point for people being like, why, why do these people exist? Um, why are they exempt from rules? And why do they still get, you know, positive coverage for things? Why is, why are they celebrated for, doing kind of the least? Why do we also look to celebrities um, for any sort of coherent political opinion? I think like 
something I'm really fascinated by is like this push the last few years that I think a lot of people really want celebrities to quote unquote use their platform in a specific way. And I'm fascinated by how that both plays into appearing good and that if a celebrity can like say the right thing at the right time, it doesn't even have to be that nuanced or that novel. People are just so excited that they've done that. Like I remember when Taylor Swift um, encouraged people to vote and like, yeah, that's net good. Like I, I don't have a problem with that, but, but also I thought it was like, you know, a little bit comically late um, considering how silent she's been for years and years and pointing that out. Probably um, comically celebrated too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In this way that it's just like, it becomes really hard to talk to people about the limits of, you know, celebrity representation and just stand culture and this whole idea of hero worship, whether it's politicians or celebrities. I think it's just so tied into people's conceptions of self that when you say like, yeah, no, it was a good thing, but it also like, why are we so excited about this? People get really personally offended. And I think that like, that's a huge reason in my mind why like celebrity culture has sort of remained uncontested in this way until Mm -hmm. maybe this year is just because people so closely identify with these strangers. Um, A lot of people call like a parasocial relationship. where criticizing people's favorites becomes like a an attack on their own self. Um, and I witness this all of the time um, in just trying to kind of gently poke fun at, you know, people being celebrated for doing the least. Like, I think that like uh, a celebrity using their giant platform, it's just like not that, I don't think that that's um, as effective as people want it to be. Um, I think that a lot of people look at something like that and they look at the world and they look at how messed up everything is. And like, yeah, someone with 60 million followers being like, go vote. I get how that could feel like, oh my gosh, like how cool. But ultimately, like, is that changing anything? No, like not really. Um, And I think that's a hard discussion to have when you've got the emotional factor of really supporting someone's work and how intimate that gets and how personally offended it can feel when someone criticizes your favorite, even if you also agree that pedestals shouldn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I, I was on an earlier podcast, somebody was talking about this idea that, you know, people's political leanings or the candidates that they identify with, they, they view it as very much a part of their identity. And so when you attack that candidate, you're attacking them. And this seems to be very much in, in sort of part and parcel with that. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. I think a tentative idea, especially, um, I mean, yeah, completely for Americans to reconcile with the fact that politicians don't have our best interests um, in mind. And I experience a lot of tension um, with people who I think really just want their politicians to be this sort of West Wing fantasy that they have of them. Um, And this sort of like, you know, this version of American politics that I think never really existed, but very much exists in our psyche of this like, oh, we're on different sides of the aisle, but we're going to shake hands and get things done. And they're here to protect us and 
they're all smart people and they deserve these positions. And like, (laughs) 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 they certainly don't. But um, I just, yeah, I think that it's so entrenched in our culture to kind of think of these people as the only option to protect us and to save us and to, you know, latch our hopes to. And it was, it's been very, very surreal kind of watching that um, as someone who has a a big platform and also someone who, um, you know, spends most of my time criticizing not the people that are put on, on pedestals, but the pedestal itself. And I think that's a really hard distinction for people to make um, to be like, why are you going after these people? We need these people. They're on our side. Like there was a moment um, last year when Nancy Pelosi like ripped up a speech, ripped up the state of the union and I thought it was just like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> just cause like, it was just, it was just very, uh, I don't even want to say performative. I think that word gets thrown around in ways that don't, you know, render it sort of meaningless, but it was just, it was just funny. And a lot of people I think saw, um, saw in that this sort of really empowering moment of like clapping back um and taking a stand and I was like it's it's cool if that resonates with you in that way but if you're gonna zoom out and think what does this actually do let's be let's be real it it does nothing it's a good it's good press for Nancy she gets another gif made of her doing something you know (laughs) fun um and people were really, 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 really mad at me for that. Um, I got a lot of like, you're dividing the left. And I was like, do you think the left is looking at a cartoon? Like, what do you think they care what I think? Like, right, <laughs> right. really, really funny. Um, so, yeah, I think that like a, a weird thing that happens when you critique power is that sometimes people think that you're more powerful than you are. And I was like, do you guys get that I'm not an elected official? Like I'm just drawing <laughs> cartoons. Like, like a lot of people were like, you're, you're uh, sabotaging the election. Like if Biden loses, it's your fault. And I was like, that would be awesome. But I just don't have that <laughs> type of power. Like I just don't at all. Um, if you want to hand it to me, it. I'll take it. But <laughs> yeah, like, you no, know, give me the power that you think I have. That sounds cool. Uh, yeah, so it's been fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we could do a whole entire other podcast about your work and the implications in greater society, but it's kind of ancillary to what we're actually, I think, going to get into here. So, um, you know, as, as you, as you produced your, um, your work, your, you, you obviously grew an audience that today is, you know, pretty large. Like you have an Instagram account that has like 450,000 followers and whatnot. You produced a book last year. How did, how did that growth take place? I mean, did it happen very quickly? Did it happen sort of over time? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So I would say like it happened pretty slowly, but once it started, it then, happened all up all at once and it was really overwhelming mm-hmm. um I was sort of making work into the void for a year I was just kind of like putting this project out there it was like mostly my friends and family following me um I never really expected that many people to see it but it was really nice to kind of have this space to articulate um the ways that I was kind of processing the world around me and 
always was really interested in writing and drawing about dating and technology and love and and making those things um, resonate more deeply. So I was like, you know, here's here's the way to do it. Um, so and what year while, was that? I think I started posting them in 2017. Okay. Um, and then I just sort of, you know, did like, I tried a little bit to build community. Like I would use hashtags. I was very engaged with people. Um, I think for like that first year, there was maybe like a few thousand people um, following, which was huge. And I just like, couldn't believe that. Um, and that was like more than enough for me. I was like, this is awesome. I kind of never expected anyone to see this. Um, and it was really cool when there's not that many people in a digital space, you really actually get to know people and you start to recognize their usernames and you get to have longer conversations with people. And it just felt very communal. It actually felt like a community. And I was just like so thankful for that. And also it was just so surreal because I just couldn't believe that anyone cared about what I had to say. Um, and then a huge part of the growth was that I was sort of swept up by this niche corner of Instagram, um, which I usually call feminist Instagram with a capital F, capital I. Uh, <laughs> it was like, and I, and I still, um, still think that parts of that really resonate with me. And my work is definitely uh, feminist. I think in different ways than that community sort of ascribed unto me. Like it, I think to me is obviously a uh, feminist because I'm talking about gender relations and power um and also just like have a you know have a sense of double standards in society and what that means and um and so I was always definitely like very you know <laughs> obviously pro pro woman I don't hate women yeah. um but I think that that sort of translated in a way that I was really unprepared for, where all of a sudden these, you know, these pages was like 20,000 people following 30,000 people who were sort of like these bastions of feminist Instagram who were mostly reposting pages where they would have like a bunch of memes and um, screenshots of Twitters and just sort of like this roundup of everything that was relevant in a given week or given day. Um, and I sort of got pulled into that where all of a sudden my work started getting reposted by one of these pages and then another one and then they all sort of knew me and I became I think a little bit like this this mascot of this world because I was saying really <laughs> similar things to them but I was drawing them which was I think new very shareable um definitely like resonates in a different way than reading a screenshot of a tweet um they all looked really simple and the same. And so I think I, you know, sort of unintentionally made a a branding strategy for myself just by virtue of not having um, that many artistic skills in that regard. Um, mm -hmm. But I always was going into it as being like, okay, I'm a writer. I'm making memes more or less, but I want people to be thinking about this stuff more deeply. And I want people to be in conversation about this. So in my mind, it was always like, this is the tip of an iceberg of a conversation. And I'm going to just put a little bit out there um, and hopefully have the conversation continue, whether that's in the comments or in DMs or just in people's own lives. Um, so I never thought that I was kind of putting out a complete vision. I always felt that it was like a work in progress. Um, but yeah, then it just, it's just sort of 
it just took off from there. Like, uh, I think a few kind of big quote unquote feminist pages started to share me often. And all of a sudden I had this influx of people who were really looking to me, um, to make feminist content. Um, and that was sort of the first kind of year of the growth of the page was really oriented around that. Um, and, yeah, very much just sort of exploring this this world of Instagram that I just did not know existed at all. Um, and I don't think it was a mistake in retrospect, but it does definitely clarify a lot about how the community evolved for me because I, this project to me is, is a comedy project um, and it always has been. And there was just an absolute flattening that happened when it started to be taken up by these pages who were looking at it uh, as sort of this guidebook or, you know, just projecting, I think, a bit too much meaning onto these things that I had always meant as just sort of conversation starter jokes. Um, so I think a lot of my rise after that was because I did step into this role of being like, okay, guess I'm the one making the rules now. <laughs> and I and I just kind of accepted that. Like I I couldn't believe that anyone cared about my work at all. And so now when I think about how overwhelming it is to have people watching my work, I certainly remember what it was like to have someone with 20,000 followers share a cartoon of mine. I would be thrilled. I would be like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I immediately felt pretty like subservient to the person who would have <laughs> shared it. Like I was like, thank you so much. Like, let me know if I can do anything for you. Like there's just this very weird dynamic that works. Um, in this space. And I was so naive about it. I just really thought that everyone was cool. Everyone was just trying to, you know, get their opinions out there. The idea that someone maybe wanted to get close to me to kind of use my platform or steer the direction of my work, like never occurred to me. I was so naive. I was just like, everyone share my work. All I want is growth. I just want more people to see this, like this rules, nothing to worry about. This will never come back to haunt me. Um, and so I was just for a while, like the only thing I felt like I was supposed to be doing was thinking about growth. And I think that is like a huge thing for anyone who's an internet creator. Um, even if it's not explicit, the idea is that you want people to see your stuff. Um, sure. most people depend on, you know, people seeing our stuff to some degree. Um, and I don't think there's really an alternative outlined because, you know, in these attention economy spaces, it's like, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to get people to look at my things. Um, and if they're looking at them for different reasons than I want them to, I can't really complain about that. So come on in, everyone. Like, we're just going to try to make this the biggest thing ever. Um, and I think that's sort of how it goes. Like, you're supposed to, quote unquote, you're supposed to, you make your thing then you you do a little social climbing and then you just like pursue growth at all costs, even if you're talking about how dangerous and terrible growth is like unchecked growth is like you just you're supposed to just want to grow. Um, right. And there's you know, that's sort of just what it is. And you're never really given the space to be like, what is what does creating in an online space look like if growth isn't the goal? Um, and, you know, because like the actual platforms will like punish you for not creating enough or not creating in the right ways. It's 
I think socially and infrastructurally, you're kind of forced to just create stuff in a really specific way um, all of the time. So growth is just sort of embedded into what you're doing. And if you want people to keep seeing your stuff, you have to post a lot. You have to post in a certain way. Um, and you get penalized for not like I would try to take breaks from Instagram and I would come back and no one would see my stuff because I had taken a few days off. So it's very hard to not just kind of pursue that at all costs if you want people to see your stuff for sure. Well, one of the interesting things that I've seen in following your account, and you alluded to this earlier, is this is this idea that you, you've been really active in interacting with the people who interact with your content, right? And mm-hmm. that... It, and that a lot of people on Instagram, they kind of push the content out there and people comment on it, but it's never like a two-way street, right? Mm-hmm. And and you said that that was really empowering and great at the beginning, but as you grew, like what sort of happened to, to that um, sort of community that you had built? Like how did that start to change over time? Totally. I felt, you know, for years, just super grateful because even though there are aspects of the community and the growth around it that felt really weird. For the most part, I felt like it was a really, really good, engaged group of people um, who were really smart. And even if we disagreed, like I felt like there was room um, and interest in sort of just having longer, more thoughtful conversations. And I think a lot of people recognized that like going into a comment section on Awards for Good Boys was a very specific experience um, for good and bad. Like, I think it really fluctuated. I think in the early days, like, you know, it was a little bit hostile. Um, It's pretty reactive. There's a lot of people kind of looking for catharsis. And I think that could make it hard for someone who's just coming in to be like, I don't agree with this. Like there is a sort of um, a protectiveness over some of the work because I think it's so emotionally resonant. Um, But there was just a time where it was really easy to just talk to people and to disagree with people. And to not have that be anything more than just a conversation that we were having. Um, and then as more and more people started to follow, I realized that like those conversations are no longer just between you and the person, but there's just all of a sudden like hundreds of thousands of onlookers who are watching how you respond to someone and then chiming in. And you know, that's how the platform works. It's like, if you respond to someone publicly, other people are going to respond to you publicly. But it it changed from feeling like this, this really engaging and natural conversation where lots of people could be involved to this really weirdly ironic comment section wherein everyone was trying to like one up each other and um, prove that they understood the work in the correct way. um, Or, criticize the work because it wasn't uh, portrayed in the correct way. Like it just became this sort of meta narrative of all of these people's and mine too, like just all of these ways that like things weren't working and it stopped being a place where I felt like everyone was sort of like, I think in the beginning it was really this idea that like a lot of people don't agree, but we're all here in the same space and we're all interested in sort of like, navigating the places where we don't agree and why and there was very much like kind of a built-in curiosity and I think a lot of that was spearheaded by me because I treated running the page very much as an experiment where I was like I can't believe I have this many people listening to me and watching me 
and I want it to be community centric. So I'm going to ask so many questions about these people, which I did. Um, and I'm going to ask them to tell me their stories and I'm going to draw their stories. And it's going to be this kind of back and forth because I never wanted to be a person who was public making art. Like I just never wanted that for myself. Um, and so I think the more people started following, the more uncomfortable I got with this sort of this ask that is made of you if you want to kind of, you know, be known for a thing, which is to just fully embrace the fact that you are solely responsible for it and that everyone should, you know, come and pay you to talk about your stuff. And I was like, I'm just not that person. And I know that this is a a collaborative work. Um, and that became harder to discuss with people the more and more people were in the space where it was like, how do I prove to thousands of people that this has always been a collaborative work if they followed me yesterday and don't know that, you know, for the first few years of running this, it really was just, you know, it was pretty communal. Um, and it was very much a place where people would just like laugh and find catharsis and meet each other. And I met some really amazing people. And then I think you know, I sort of went viral overnight and that sort of changed the whole dynamic of the page because suddenly there were people who were purposefully coming in to be instigators and agitators, um, which obviously made talking about things with nuance pretty impossible. Um, and so as that increased, I think this, the general aura became more and more combative. And I don't think that's specific just to my page. I think that's true across the internet no. the last few years. Right. Um you know, like it just, I think for, for myself, it was this really surreal thing where I was like, I always felt like I had created this sort of, you know, outside of time space because it genuinely felt like such a lovely community and such an interesting community um, where people were sharing book recommendations and music. And like, it was just such a unique experience. And then it just became so overwhelmed with people who you know, had sort of just followed or had seen one thing reshared. And I realized that like, there wasn't really a way to kind of reintroduce people to what I was trying to do. It was just a very clear divide of people who have seen me doing this for a while and read my work in good faith and people who followed me yesterday and probably don't understand that it's comedy. And mm -hmm. that clash, it was a clash between the new and old people following it was a clash between me and trying to moderate like what do I pay attention to and I found myself just being drawn to like the worst the worst comments and the worst messages um and it just created the cycle where it was like just very reactive and I knew that I was good at sort of putting people in their place in a way that was funny but also informative but it just got to this point where I was like, why am I doing this? And who am I doing this for? And I think a lot of it is just because like, and I write about this in my book, like so much of the reason that I created this project is because I personally have a hard time with people having narratives about me that I haven't written. Um, so suddenly with all of these commenters here, looking at this fictional work that I was drawing, uh, projecting their own experiences, projecting my experiences onto it, um, it became very personal and very heated and I just sort of stopped being able to separate myself from the work and I, everything became really personal, um, where people being like, oh, I don't like this became like, I don't like you. Um, I mean, it also is just a really surreal 
experience and I learned like with more people following my work like receiving real-time feedback to art um is not something that I was mentally equipped for at all um and I think about this a lot because like my work in theory I would love it to be presented to people in a way where then they just had to sit and think about it but because there's a comment space right below and because people can react immediately um it was kind of doing the opposite of what I designed it to do where it became this really quick reactive reductive little memes about how men are trash and I was like that's just not what I that's not what this is about um and I felt like when I tried to sort of zoom out on that people got really angry because it wasn't the version of myself that they thought I was so it was just this this very eerie moment where I was like I've been drawing about you know celebrities and putting men on pedestals and the way that we entangle our ourselves with these people that we don't know and all of a sudden I'm watching this huge group of community do that to me and I was like holy shit they're putting me on a pedestal as I'm satirizing pedestals and I'll never get it right like I'll just never be enough because you know I'm like because it's the pedestal that's broken not you yes yes but I think that like that concept when people disagreed with things it started to not be about the the concept, but about me. And so, especially because I had shared so much about my life and I, you know, was sort of like tentatively trying to get people to know me and like me and care about me. But I also had never, I never thought that this many people would be watching. So if I could go back and tell myself when I had a thousand followers, please don't post pictures of your face. You're going to regret people knowing that (laughs) I would, I would be like, stop, stop doing everything. Like just, just chill, just post your jokes. But I couldn't. Um, and I think especially as I, I got more and more people, I felt this pressure to kind of use my platform in a specific way. And for a while, I think people really celebrated me for that. And then it became this, you know, this self-fulfilling irony again, where I was like, I'm every day talking about something that I find important, watching people who never say anything, say vote and be celebrated and cheered for And if I like, you know, use a word that you don't like when I'm talking about Elizabeth Warren, you're going to make a a dozen Instagram stories about how I'm dividing the left. And it was just this like, it was this really fascinating moment where I was like, I, I cannot kind of handle this irony um, as a person making these things anymore. Like it's just too on the nose. Um, And so I felt like I had to be so self-deprecating to get people to even engage with my work, which I think is true for a lot of women in comedy anyways. Um, I had to like make men and women alike not feel threatened. Um, And so it just became this like this pretty destructive cycle of being like, you know, this community is too big for them to actually know me and for me to actually engage earnestly. Um, How do I get them to still care about me and like me? What do I share about my life? when I, you know, and like, how do I do that in between being like, I have this giant platform, I'd rather tell you about things going on in the world. And then I became the sort of proxy news service, which felt really bad. And I was like, do you guys know that I'm not the news? Like, (laughs) it was was really surreal. Um, And I found that people were kind of asking more from me than they were from a lot of their elected officials. And I was like, this is really bizarre. And I think taught me a lot about how influence and internet 
power works today where I think that some people legitimately think that having a bunch of followers makes you impactful in society in a way that I think just very often doesn't translate. Um, and I just would tell people, I'd be like, you should spend the time that you're spending telling me you don't like my cartoons, like calling your local officials and telling them what you don't like in your community. Like it's a better use of time. Um, and that would make people I bet really that angry. went over well. Yeah. <laughs> it did not go over well. It did not go over well at all. Um, and yeah, I thought a lot, I thought a lot of that last summer and all through the pandemic, like there's just been, I think that I foolishly thought that a lot of people following me had similar ish politics to me. Um, and then I realized that I had been treading a little bit carefully, probably unconsciously because I didn't want the heat. And then I, it was sort of masks off the last, you know, year and a half where I was like, I just, I have this huge platform. What am I going to just not say what I think all the time? Like, that's not me. I have no filter. Um, and it made people really mad. I think the idea of like, hey, I'm actually not just drawing about your bad dates. I'm trying to look at, you know, how that reverberates throughout society and part of that is looking at yourself and the that did not go over well at all <laughs> at all i think that one of the interesting things there is that you know you talk about how you started out with this community of people who got it and you got them and you all came together but mm -hmm. as you grew you found more and more people coming in who didn't get it and that kind of rip things apart in a lot of ways. And I think that's, and you know, to some extent, it seems like as somebody who's taking very complicated and nuanced issues and turning them into something very simple as and funny, that is almost inevitable. But, but, but it's also, it's also a, an example of something that I've seen in a lot of communities, which is as they grow, it's like the contract changes almost, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like the agreement about why we're all here becomes harder and harder to maintain unless you turn it into something else that's going to alienate totally. the reason why you started things in the first place. Totally. Yep. It really, it was exactly that. And it became this moment where it was like, there isn't, a sort of way to reintroduce everyone new to the to the things I've been talking about for a long time. So good faith, like good faith readings of things just totally slipped away for people who were, you know, just coming in. And I think crucially what, what started to really mess me up is that, and maybe this, I mean, it's probably my fault. A lot of people didn't understand that it was satire. Um, sure. And I think some of that is just because it's nuanced. I think some of it is larger and just like I think that the internet has kind of killed comedy in a lot of ways and I also think that like the the grim times we're living in and how surreal they are satire kind of doesn't function in the way that it used to like it just is our it's just hyper reality all of the time it's very very surreal um and so I think comedy and satire function really differently today than they had been and I think I occupied this strange role where I was saying, you know, people shouldn't be allowed to say anything that they want anymore. Like, that's bad. But I also do think that jokes that are provocative and edgy and thoughtful and make you think about things are really important. And like, I think comedy is really important in that way. I also think that, you know, what I thought is not that controversial, but weirdly is like, you can like and, and consume quote unquote problematic media and problematize it. Like you don't have to be like, 
you know, I'm never watching this thing again because this creator did a bad thing. It's like, you know, you can still engage with things that are, you know, have have storied histories and have creators that you disagree with. And then you just you note that. And I think that it just became really, really impossible to, you know, kind of reintroduce people who were new to this space to the idea that like, one, I've been doing this for a long time. I promise I care about real shit too. Like, you don't have to, you know, tell me to post about, you know, insert crisis. Like, I know. Um, And then secondly, it was that this idea that like, I would be like, this is comedy. And people would be like, you can't just say whatever, you know, that's a, that's a nice way of saying, you know, you don't want to do whatever. And it was like, it was just this very weird um, resistance, I think, to things that I had been saying all along. And suddenly with this influx of people and the contract absolutely changing and it being like, what do I owe these people? Because suddenly there's a lot of people who are asking a lot from me and I don't actually think it's ever what I was promising. And I don't know where these people got the idea that I was just sort of, you know, drawing the world as it should be. Like I'm satirizing the world as it is. And I think that it was, I, I didn't have the energy to sort of explain my work to people in a way that would have maybe made it easier for new people to understand. It also wasn't really a good way to do that. So I just realized that like, oh, this can't exist in this way at this scale without hostility um, because people don't really want to sit and have a good faith reading of this. And I experienced this phase of like, just so many people watching my stuff and engaging with things. And it was this moment where I was really reactive and I was really like reacting to the news and just um, kind of saying things that I think people wanted me to say and being very much like, yeah, this man did a bad thing. And I just feel like it was very myopic. And when I look back, I'm like deeply embarrassed that I was kind of spearheading this sort of thinking online in any way. Um, But I think when I stopped doing that, and reoriented being like, this actually isn't what I care about. Um, People took that as apathy or as, um, I mean, people just have, it's, it's fascinating. I think most of my audience being women was a whole other factor of, you know, of relationship and parasocial relationship. Um, And the contract is different because I think women, especially women online we're all judging each other all of the time. There's such a way to be. Um, and I always thought that I was sort of like, not safe, but I was like, you know, I'm making fun of men. Like women are all going to, they're going to be on my side. I got this. And then when I started pushing back and when I started being like, actually my, my thesis isn't men are trash. My thesis is relationships are complicated. Why do we award people for doing the least? And why do we keep clapping for them? Um, I got a lot of people telling me that I hated women. (laughs) 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 I mean, um, I was very openly, I very openly supported Bernie. um, And I was not a stan you know, I don't stay on politicians, but I was just like, here's our best option. And 
the amount of people who told me that I was sexist, um, that I was a misogynist for not believing Elizabeth Warren could be president, um, that Bernie bros were mean to them. I was like, look, I get harassed every day online. And I'm telling you, like, it's not it's not fan base. It's just being online. Um, and that I just like refuse to accept that narrative. And I yeah, I I. I realized suddenly, oh my God, me having my, my non-nuance, my, my, my nuanced beliefs, me not sugarcoating for people, um, is not only going to push people away, but it makes people engage with my work differently, which then started to feel really scary because I was like, I always thought that I was speaking my mind and that people would sort of stay with me. But suddenly I'm realizing that being like, here's the person I'm voting for. Everyone's telling, you know, everyone says, use your platform, use your platform, and okay, I'm going to use it here as an explainer on why we need Medicare for all. And people were not having it. So it was like, okay, I realized that it's very hard to be thoughtful and also maintain that sort of engagement level. Like the things that do well are the things that are really watered down, really reductive, um, really dangerous, I think. And resisting that is going to come at a cost to how many people are engaging with your content and how many people want to actually look to you as this source of things. And I, when I was like, oh, I don't want to be that. I'm not that person. I'm not an expert. Um, I think people just got really upset about that because they felt like they, they deserved an explanation of why I thought certain things. Um, and I just think the relationship between audience and creators these days is really at times quite abusive um and i think it's really toxic just very very toxic yeah i mean it seems like you could have changed to get into a situation where you were more of a push beast medium where you were just pumping out content and not engaging with people but it also seems like that wouldn't have been at all satisfying for you in any way shape or form totally and i think a huge part of the work for me, especially in the beginning, was being able to see how people responded to it and being able to see how people could apply this framework to their own lives. And I really resented when more people came into the space as much as I was proud of it. I was like, this is so cool that people are here now. But also, I really miss being able to have genuine conversations about why something I made doesn't resonate or doesn't make sense or does make sense. And when you grow and grow and grow, you lose that ability to actually self-implicate and to actually say, oh, this thing I made, you're right. Like it, that, that's such a good point. It doesn't really make sense in that way. Because when you're put in front of all of these people, it's very, very hard and dis like you know it's it's a disadvantage to say I'm wrong I was wrong about that like I think so much of why we see so much um like doubling down on the internet these people who are just really wrong refuse to do otherwise is because you kind of can't like unless you're going to do like a notes app apology it's very hard to have just like casual conversations being like oh you're right that was a bad take moving on like there isn't really room for that there's just this this emphasis on getting it right the first time. And then if you get it wrong, you have to self-flagellate in the correct ways so that everyone watching can feel, you know, properly sinful for having supported you before. And now <laughs> they can atone. Um, and when I started pointing that out, I was like, this is wild. People just got really, really, really mad at me. Um, and I was like, you know, 
this is a weird irony, but I also don't want to perform self-flagellation and self-deprecation to make people feel okay about liking me. Like, they can unfollow, they can walk away from this at any time. Um, I don't need to, like, you know, lay prostrate at the feet of white guilt for people to understand that I think about these things. And I realized that for some people that really was, that was the thing. Like they needed me to articulate in a very specific way, um, you know, certain checklists. And I was like, this is just, this is unproductive. Um, and it's just not about me. And so people trying to make it about me, I always just felt like this is just the wrong idea. Do you think there's like, like, it makes me wonder if there is even a way to grow a community around something that's created. And, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the community that happens either inherently or exherently between creators and fandoms. And it's like, I wonder if it's even possible to create a community like that, that remains healthy as it grows past a specific size. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I don't really know. And I think that the relationship between makers and create and um, consumers these days, the pipeline between those things is non-existent. Like you can tweet at your favorite creator any day and just be like, where's the new album? And I mm -hmm. think that that access to creators and I think this immense pressure on creators to serve a community in a specific way. Um, I think it has just totally warped art in general and of all forms. Um, and I think that the idea that there's, you know, there can be a community around that. I don't think it can be a community around like an individual's work. I kind of think that when I see people who have a lot of followers and it's their own work, like I have sort of disengage from that as a community and look more at that as a performance and like there's one mm. person and they're performing and there's a lot of people engaged and they're consuming and that's great and that's fine but I think that people need to recognize that what's happening is that they're consuming a performance and they're not in direct conversation to an artist that is accountable to them like I think that there's this idea that because we can talk to artists and they're so accessible to us that they owe us a certain thing, that they owe us art at a certain time. I also just think that like social media in general has really rendered art making and art sharing like in this totally other universe because things are so disconnected from their origin that, you know, there's no crediting. People are just sharing everything everywhere. Um, you, you're scrolling past a piece of art rather than like sitting and, and taking it in. Um, and I think that expectation that artists kind of make things to please their community uh, rather than make what they want, I think it's just totally changed and warped the way that we, you know, think about community, think about art, think about art making. Like, I definitely found that, like, when my community got to a certain size, I stopped making the things that I thought were actually poignant. And I started making things that I thought would just get the least amount of people mad at me. And... Which is I kind mean, of the opposite of your entire point of when you started this in the first exactly. place. Exactly. I was like, this is just, and I felt trapped. I was like, I, I can't really log off. I need people to, I want people to buy my book because that is where I really put the effort. Um, 
in articulating these things. And I really thought that when the book came out, everyone who followed me was going to go and get the book. And then they'd be like, oh, that's what she meant by that. That's why she was going to explain that. Cool. It did not happen that way, let me tell you. <laughs> no, I'm sure. There's nothing more humbling than having hundreds of thousands of people love your work for free. And then like none of them want to pay for your book that you've made for them specifically. Um, so that was a really profound moment. And I also just realized how much kind of social climbing and um, social maneuvering goes into getting your work seen and and liked and reported on in the right way. And I was like, I have no energy. For, I give up. I don't want to do any of this. Um, but yeah, I I really thought that people were just going to kind of immediately you know, remove themselves from the page and be like, oh, there's more to this. I'll go seek out um, the articulated version of this. But no, it does not happen like that at all. Um, and yeah, I just think that like, I hated what I was making. And I hated that I was popular and got popular for this iteration of the project that was like, really comically antithetical to what I had started it as. Um, and it just felt really cowardly. And then when I sort of returned to, you know, where I felt most comfortable being like, I'm just going to draw about what I think is important. Um, a lot of people were really upset that it wasn't what they thought they'd signed up for. And there's this weird, I, I always refer to it as um, like a demonic pact or satanic pact. Mm. Like, I think some people online really deeply forget that it is a choice to follow and unfollow people. And even though everything around the space is encouraging you to stay and to stay online for as long as possible, like literally our brains are being manipulated so that we keep scrolling. Um, I think people forget that you can just not consume certain things. You can just unfollow, you can block, you can delete the app from your phone. You can, there's, there's many kind of little ways to, to tweak that, but I would have people who would kind of the hill that they wanted to die on was fighting with me about something. And I would just be like, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I make people so irate. Like people would send me paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about what I'd done wrong. Um, why my work was this way or not this way. I would get them to my personal email. I would be approached in real life on the street. Like, it was just this like all encompassing moment where I was like, what have I done? <laughs> um, <laughs> and you realize like, you can't take it back. Like once you're that big, like I, I couldn't take it back. And I just felt so uh, guilty and ashamed. And I was like, why have I been sharing so much? I really thought that I was you know, allowing people into my world. But all that happened was, you know, people being really mad at me, people stealing my work, but not actually taking the the depth. So I, I sort of, I think, spawned a, a little niche of illustrators who started drawing about men and dating and relationships, which obviously I did not start. But right. I think that I um, encouraged a kind of new interpretation of that in a specific corner of the internet. And all of a sudden people were doing my work better than I could and in this way that I didn't want to. So I would, you know, there's a few people who I've watched become really genuinely popular by kind of redrawing things that I've made, but taking out the political teeth. 
And mm. it was just this really humbling moment for me where I was like, I could be, I could have stepped into that role at this moment where everyone really wanted me to. And I could have been this liberal feminist talking head who, you know, talked about gendered relationships and how this, how men suck and how we should dump them all. And, um, and I never wanted that. And so I just, it was very eerie to watch in real time, these people who were, you know, kind of riding my wake and doing all of the things that I refused to do and amassing a much kinder, more responsive community around them. Because if you say what your community wants to hear, they're going to love you for it. Like if you keep shouting into the void, these things that everyone is already there to hear you say, they love it. And if you say to your following, um, liberal people are the problem and all of my work has actually been about you guys, surprise, they're not. <laughs> they don't <laughs> they take it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was this weird thing where I was like, I've always been a bit of a troll. This whole project has been a deep, deep meta joke between me and myself the whole time. And um, the fact that I got sort of mainstream, I find really hilarious. The fact that my book got sold in Urban Outfitters, but like, is about like why we put men on pedestals and talks about, you know, Jeb Bush saying, please clap. Like, I can't believe that I, I made it happen, but I think that like, I have to be real and that a lot of my success is because of what people think that I'm doing. Um, like I very much kind of snuck in because people thought that I was doing one thing. And then when I started to really be like, no, actually you're wrong. Um, it really pushed people away. I mean, it really does seem like there is an issue not just on the internet, but in general where like, I don't know, I don't even know how to put it, like subtlety or self-reflection or nuance is just completely gone from our totally. lives. Like, you know, when I, like, like as a white liberal man uh, watching your work, I instantly got a lot of the things that you were talking about. But, but I also, of course, have a lot of experience with a lot of people who would never in a million years like think about their own place in the systems that they criticize right totally. and and i don't know how you like fix that right <laughs> it's like totally. it's like it seems it seems like and you know the methods that we have to put that stuff out there right now are not conducive to fixing it either totally it very it quickly becomes this sort of like how could you critique capitalism, but use an iPhone? And it's like, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It, it's like, guys, we're all, we're fighting against each other. And like, none of us are Jeff Bezos. And like, that's the point here is that like, mm -hmm. there are, we need to, you know, to look bigger. And I think it becomes this thing where like, I mean, it really, I think is very aligned with like my original conceptions of this project where like, People who kind of say, don't say very much, um, are very quiet. When they decide to be self-reflective, it's seen as like this huge win and this really emotionally intimate, important headline making, like, you know, insert blank actor opens up about, you know, going to therapy and it's like, cool, great. Like he can afford therapy, that rules. Um <laughs> And then there's this aspect of like, I think people who are always sort of in that, which is usually going to be, I think, you know, mostly women, but not always. Um, I think there's a real 
risk and penalty that comes with self-implicating and with being um, actively aware of your own role in things. And I found that all of the ways I just assumed people knew that I was self-implicating, I then hit this point where if I wasn't saying, and this includes me, and as a white woman, people would refuse to engage. And it was like, look, if I'm going to take up all of my time talking about the reasons why I shouldn't be the person making this work, according to you, that's going to be the work, not the work itself. And that's just like, that's not productive. But I think that there's so much ambient guilt and ambient confusion that, you know, communities then become these sort of these policing forces, which I think when it's intimate and people are know each other, that self-policing, I think, can be really cool and it can be like oh we keep each other in check that's awesome but when it's this huge community and you've got everyone self-policing but everyone is self-policing based on really different norms and you've never actually agreed on what the goal is it becomes this very hostile soup of who can articulate the thing in the best way at the right time in the right moment and I found that people were just kind of finding weaker and weaker reasons to not engage with things that challenged them a little bit, like, you know, word choice and tone and timing. And it was like, look, like if me saying, you know, Elizabeth Warren is not the person and you didn't like the tone that I said it in, and that makes you unable to support my work anymore. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with that. Um, But it is this hard thing where when people are repeatedly telling you, like, you're making it impossible for me to support your work anymore, there was this moment where I was like, oh, wow, okay, me being, me clarifying these opinions that I thought most people in here agreed on is actually detrimental to potential business. And I was just like, okay, I, um, it's more important for me to just to say what I mean. And I understand that like a lot of people, a lot of creators really can't do that. Like it is a huge privilege and honor to be able to, to say, I don't care. I'm going to say what I think. And, you know, if they don't want to engage, that's fine. But, you know, a lot of people, especially people whose work is primarily online. um, And if you're community, if you depend on a community liking you, I think that's such an eerie part of art making today is that it's not just your community is there for the art. Your community also has to like you enough to stay. And I think that likability becomes this like really bizarre function of who is successful and who, you know, can amass a community a certain way. And for me, I was just like, I don't care about being liked. I don't really think that I'm being all that mean by like not engaging with, you know, terrible people. Um, I wasn't really sugarcoating things. I definitely was really reactive. And in retrospect, I wish that I, you know, had just engaged a little bit less with people who were clearly not trying to have a conversation with me. But I think that's really, it's really hard to tell. Like I had gone from such an intimate community where I felt like I could actually engage with people to this huge space where suddenly people were trying to trap me in being wrong and saying the wrong thing so that they could screenshot it. And I was like, how am I supposed to have nuanced conversation and more importantly how am I supposed to be wrong about stuff because 
that's so central to how I learn things is just being super wrong, having someone be like, that's super wrong, and then engaging about it. But when you have this giant platform where people think that you're archiving correctness, it suddenly became this huge liability to say I was wrong about that. Um, And so then people you know, the way to process that is like, I got a lot of people saying like, you know, you're on your high horse, you you think you're holier than thou. Um, All these things where I was like, no, I just actually don't really know how to address things at this scale. Um, Mm -hmm. And everyone, especially, especially when those people are coming in and taking that sort of trust that you give in your community and using it against you to try and catch you in a trap. Totally. And I think that the strangest part is that there'd be onlookers. Like a thing that I learned, I've learned a lot running this community, but a huge thing Mm -hmm. I learned is that people on the internet love drama. They don't need to be involved to love it. And they don't Mm -hmm. really want the facts around it. They just want to insert themselves. And so I would have someone like say something totally left field, like just not applicable at all. Um, And there would be this moment where I was like, okay, do I just leave that there? Because like, I know that's not true. People who have been following me for a while absolutely know that's not true. But what if someone new comes in and sees that? Like, do I respond and like give it legitimacy? And then also more people will see it if I respond or do I just leave it there? And then other people start liking it. And then then there's this whole other separate conversation about you on your own work. And it was just, it was this really strange yeah. moment. I was just like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what my job is here. Um, is it as a thought provoker and artist or is it as community moderator? And I used to kind of be able to do both. And then when I tried to step away from being a community monitor, the comments would get really hostile and people would message me being like, you have to turn comments off. Like it's a nightmare in there. And so then, you know, I would just for the last few months was just turning comments off on everything. Um, which is not ideal. Right. It's not what you wanted at all. Mm -mm. No. And I also think that like, I don't know. I think that I hit such a breaking point, um, where I think I could have kind of eased the whole community into other directions, but I just got so frustrated with seeing, you know, how resistant to nuance the internet is and, how hard it is to to make complicated things and also like yeah just how how punished you are you know socially and also like algorithmically for for keeping things complicated and i just felt all of these social consequences of that and it was really frustrating but i was also just like i'm not going to I can't let people continue to use this work in the wrong way because it's just toxic. Um, But I also don't have the energy, nor do I really want to explain every word, every, you know, panel that I put up about why it is this way or why it's not this way. Um, It just became too much. So I know that uh, recently you've, you've kind of stepped away from the social media Twitter and Instagram and kind of moved into like um, communicating with your community through Substack, through newsletters and stuff like that. How has that changed your relationship with your community and your work? It's really, it's really nice. It's really different. 
I've had to do a lot of kind of personal soul searching about why it feels empty sometimes to not make a thing, post it immediately, get thousands of likes. Like removing that sort of dopamine cycle from my life has been so important and so healthy and also really surreal. Um, And I think it is a little bit, it's confusing when you've kind of built a relationship to your art that includes metrics and suddenly removing that and being like, I'm going to make art again for art's sake. I'm going to write about what I want to write about for the people that are interested. It's going to be a whole hell of a lot less people than I had on this social media account, but that's okay. Um, And I think that's been, there's been tension to that because I still want people to read my work. I still want, you know, to be known in a certain sense. Um, I still want my work to be attributed to me, but I also really want to make it intentional and really want to speak to people in, you know, in the way that I want. And I really want to do that in a way that isn't reactive. And so the newsletter, I started at the end of 2019. um, And it's just been really, really nice. I mean, it is definitely a completely different vibe um aesthetically it's not great like I wish that there was a platform for sharing art that looked good that wasn't metric based <laughs> but there kind of isn't um but I think that for me personally and I think for a lot of other people watching it has been this sort of reclamation of the ideas that I you know popularized with these memes that then just sort of spiraled into non-meeting because they became so not nuanced and so being able to actually write again and to be like, hey, this is what I do. Um, I always was using cartoons as this, you know, small vessel in which to articulate bigger ideas. Unfortunately, that got lost. Let's zoom out again. Um, and it's been really gratifying to to hear back from people being like, I had no idea that you wrote about this stuff. Like, this is so helpful. This has really been connecting a lot of ideas to me. Like, Also, like a huge part of my work when I was using the platform was just sharing other people's work because I just truly, I never thought that more than one person would care about my work. So suddenly having like 400,000 plus people, I was like, what do I do with this? Like, I'm not trying to, to be an influencer. I'm not trying to like have my face in here. Like, this is terrible and I don't want this much attention or power it was like always very surreal to me when people would be like, you're a clout chaser, you're doing this. And I was like, I <laughs> spiral publicly weekly about social media visibility and how toxic it is. I don't want this at all. Like, I do not <laughs> want it. Um, like, honestly, like if I didn't have a, a book to sell and a project that I cared about, I would just delete the entire page. But I know that it means things. It means something to people. So I want to keep it up there. But a huge part of my, you know, day to day when I was running it was sharing things from other people, sharing news, um, you know, sharing sources, sharing places to give money. And so a good portion of the newsletter is still that um, in a much better format, I think, than Instagram stories. Where it's like, here's all the things that I've been reading this week. Um, here's some places to give your money. Here's some tweets I really liked. And then like every other week, I'll do a deep dive Um Mostly on, it usually ends up being pretty tech and community related because I'm very fascinated by that, obviously. Um, And it's also just like a really nice way to be able to 
articulate what I mean and not have other people like you know one-upping each other to try to put into words what I meant and it's like no none of you actually know me you're all projecting wildly about what a thing means I'm just going to tell you what I think you don't have to agree but here I'm going to take the time to actually make this accessible and make sense and not have to explain myself and explain a joke which is just the best thing ever um and here you go and so it's been personally really gratifying um and I think the people who who sign up and who go out of their way to kind of re like I think it is sort of a reorienting of the sort of community I had at the beginning it's a lot more private like there aren't people commenting with each other or engaging with each other about it um and sometimes that feels like a loss and other times it feels like you know I actually you know I don't really need that um I'm going to trust that people are talking about this, reading this in their own life, doing their own research, et cetera. Um, they don't all need access to me. And that's not because I'm better. That's not because I'm on a pedestal. That's not because I'm a creator and they're the consumer. It's just literally they're strangers and I'm a stranger to them. And we don't need to have that intimate of a relationship. And I think that social media really erases those boundaries. Um mm-hmm in a way that's really hard to see, especially because like, you know, so much of being successful on social media is seeming like you could be someone's best friend. And so saying, hey, your ideas suck and the politicians that you love are the worst, that's not super endearing. And I realized that pretty fast. I was like, oh, these people aren't getting me in real life. I do say these things in real life, but I'm also a person, you know, with like with three dimensions and with the ability to read social context and those things are totally erased on social media. And so I know a lot of the times I just sounded like an absolute monster. Um, and I have to own that. I mean, I wrote a, a few years ago, I think it was in salon about trying to figure out if I was the troll or if trolls were the trolls. And <laughs> I, I sort of found myself somewhere in the middle where I was like, you know, it's really hard to understand where people are coming from and once you get sort of accustomed to people coming at you for whatever, the idea that someone could come at you with with valid criticism totally slips away because everything starts to feel like an attack. And so as much as they make fun of like, you know, New York Times op-ed men like crying about, you know, people being mean to them online, there's a part of me that gets it a little bit. Like, you know, like it is really hard to know what criticism is valid and what you should pay attention to when you've got thousands of people telling you some version of, you know, this thing wasn't good, your personality sucks. And then somewhere in there is probably a really, really thoughtful critique. But how are you supposed to find that? And like, if you're in a reactive space of people, you know, I mean, people are horrible to me online. And if I'm sifting through things where people are, you know, calling me slurs and insulting me, and then there's one really thoughtful thing, the chance of me being able to like to distinguish that as the thoughtful thing that deserves more of my time is like slim to none. I'm probably going to just block everyone um, or just delete or, you know, whatever. Like it's very hard to actually figure out what conversations deserve that time. And I think it's a huge problem is because, You get people asking these creators over and over again to do a certain thing, to do better, to apologize for this, to take accountability for this. And it's like, 
how are these people supposed to know which of those are actual, which of those actually matter? And it's also this idea that like creators owe something to their communities and have to be responsible to their communities. But internet communities are not communities in the way that embodied communities are like there just isn't the same sort of allegiance to each other even though it feels like it and people turn on you in a second if it seems like it's going to be more advantageous to not support you and I saw this happen with me all of the time like there'd be people who would get really close to me and share my work all the time and I would share their work and it was cool and then they'd ask to send me their their book and I wouldn't post it in time and they would, you know, unfollow me and stop talking to me. So it's like this very bizarre set of just norms that everyone is is going through. And I don't think that there's no agreement on what anything means or what how you're supposed to do things. Or, you know, I think a huge problem with online communities is that like you're all in the same space using the same tools with really different interpretations of what everything means like for me when I unfollow someone it's just not personal it's like you know I don't need that in my feed anymore and for some people like they would see that I would unfollow someone and they would like write a reddit thread about it it would be like oh words for good boys just unfollowed blah 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 and I'd be like what like this is meaningless to me but you see that for some people like these things that are meaningless to you are really embedded with meaning and vice versa um and so all those things are happening all at the same time and so i think establishing community norms or any sort of cohesion about how to act is like so impossible um and i just don't always think that it's productive um yeah i don't know that it can exist <laughs> <laughs> well um it's been really great having you on and i'm a big fan i actually I, re I really like the newsletter because i know that you've been a writer in the past and it feels like it's a way for you to bring the that uh with the art together and put it out there in a way that i feel like maybe either one of them lacks a little without each other so i think that's been totally. a really that's that i've been i've been really into that and the book as well in the same way oh, um, so how, you know, because, because you, what you obviously need is more people following you and coming <laughs> after you, how can, uh, how can people find you online and what are you working on these days? So I'm working on some secret stuff, which I'm really excited to share at some point in the future. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm looking to, for ways to do follow-ups to my book, um, and to continue the work that I was doing on Instagram, but not on Instagram. So a lot of multimedia um, projects that I'm working on that I can't talk about in detail yet, but hopefully we'll be able to just send around to everyone soon. Um, I, you know, my whole archive is still on Instagram. If people are curious, like it's all still up there um, along with some really, you know, great comments that I'm sure I've left along <laughs> the way. So nothing to see there. Um, the sub, my Substack is awardsforgoodboys.substack.com. Um, where else can people find me? My book is called Awards for Good Boys. Uh, it exists wherever books are sold. Um, I sell some merch and stuff, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then I'm not on Twitter and that is a blessing for everyone. I was terrible at Twitter. Um, just gotten way too many fights with everyone. Mm -hmm. So really 
you know, just a gift to, it's a gift to my community to not be on Twitter. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much where I am these days. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. This has been really great. And I really appreciate you telling your story and, uh, and sharing it. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And I love talking about these things. So thank you for giving me the space to do that. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.